Listen, I know there are two varieties of people, and there are varying degrees amongst us, but there are those here today who are risk takers and those who excel in risk avoidance, right? And uh, I, I, wanna, I don't want to get it like a show of hands, but if you are a risk taker, you will love what's happening in the book of Nehemiah because uh, Nehemiah is one of those people. He's a guy who was willing to step out and be in the minority if necessary, but be a risk taker for the kingdom of God. And he was really passionate about doing it. Now, last week, we talked about the value of prayer as it relates to that, right? And we're going to kind of come back around to that because I don't want us to feel like we just take off and run, you know, and do our thing and don't take time to make sure we're in in sync with what God wants. But I want to talk just briefly uh, about the history of our church here, because I think it's really important. There is a a small group of people percentage-wise in our uh, family here that have been at this building for a long time. Uh, They were here when it was Hampton Roads Baptist Church, and over a season of uh, many years of history, God used this church to reach this community, and and, uh, it was really an effective gospel outpost. And they went through a season of their history when there was decline, decline in numbers, and so on. And at a point in time, they came to Coastal and said, would you consider adopting us to have us be part of Coastal so that this can continue to be a gospel outpost on this corner in this community for many years to come? I got to tell you, I told them the first time I visited here, I said this to them, that is such an impressive kingdom mindset to me, right? It wasn't just, oh, well, we didn't do what we wanted to, or our season's over, so we're just going to shut our doors. They wanted the kingdom of God to go forward. Listen, I can tell you from my experience in being involved with churches for a lot of years, there are a lot of churches who do not take that attitude. It is, this is our church. This is our building, and you can't have it. That's not the attitude of the people that were here. There are some of them sitting here this morning, and I want to tell you guys, I honor your kingdom mindset. God has used you to establish a gospel outpost here with Coastal so that this building can continue to house the kingdom of God as it continues to progress, right? I'm so thankful. Yeah. It's it just it really blesses my heart. And so I'm so encouraged about what God is doing. And as we have talked about all of the stuff that God's doing across coastal, it's very easy to get to get impressed with all the numbers. I mean, we're we're it won't be long. We're gonna have three thousand people at coastal across our campuses. That's incredible. Uh and We were the only campus, so let me give you a little perspective. We were the only campus last week that didn't have a near record attendance. You know why that is? Because the week before, we had a record attendance, and we were down by three, I think, from the previous week. God continues to bring people to us, and honestly, it is... I don't care about how many. I don't care if God brings us 1,000 or 300. I want to know, I want us to feel this, the weight of we are reaching our community, we are building the kingdom of God, which is people, not bricks, right? So I'm just so thankful. And as we go through Nehemiah, I want us to help increase our perspective because I think we, 
we somehow sometimes disconnect the Old Testament. Well, that was Old Testament. That was just Israel. And this, the kingdom of God, as we get to the end of this service, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk a bit about the, the perspective from Old Testament to New Testament, from the earliest days to the future days yet, of what God is doing. And we get to be part of that. And I'm, man, I hope you leave this place today super excited about what God is going to do in his kingdom as the days go forward. But we are in Nehemiah, so uh, we're going to read through some of these sections of Scripture, and I'll read them for you. You can follow along if they're on the screen. And uh, But I want to begin, actually, I'm just going to read the first 10 verses for right now. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, you know what? I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to come back and pick it apart. So you just kind of follow along. I think it's on the screen. So here we go. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may pass through until I come to Judah. And, let a, and a letter to Asaph, the, ca the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me, uh, officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of Israel. So editorial comment here, for your benefit, I hope. If you don't know how to pronounce Sanballat or Tobiah or Horonite or any of those other names, here's a, here's a, a, a key for you. Just say it confidently. Nobody else in your small group knows how to pronounce them either, right? It's, it's, we don't need to understand it. We can't even pronounce each other's names sometimes. So everybody gets it. Just say it with confidence. And Okay, so verse 11, I went to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall and turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. 
Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words of the king that had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Father, I thank you for this historical record that helps us remember a season in the rebuilding of the center city of your kingdom in the Old Testament. It was a part of a process that included the rebuilding of the kingdom and the resettlement of Judah and people returning from exile. And Lord, uh, we, we get to kind of read along and find ourselves in the story. And Lord, I, I want us to acknowledge and see what you continue to do through the building of your kingdom today. And so I pray that you'd honor yourself in what is said here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to find three different things in here. The first are principles for leaders. Man, I have heard this book of Nehemiah taught. I've read books of leadership principles out of here. And it would be really easy to just give that. The problem is a lot of people don't view themselves as leaders. Uh, so for those of you who are, and honestly, if you influence other people in your life, you're a leader. Uh, but certainly there are people who have uh, positions of leadership. So I want to give you a couple of principles that I think are really valuable for leaders. The first is this, be sensitive to God. There are several things that indicate here to me that Nehemiah was still praying, still being sensitive to God. He, the first thing he did in the last chapter was he prayed, he talked to God. So the first thing we need to do is be sensitive to God. We're praying are we listening? So there are three things he was sensitive to. One was timing. So at the end of chapter one, uh, rather at the beginning of chapter one, it happened in the, in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. So that's a, that's a time stamp. The month of Nisan in the beginning of chapter two is about four months later. So let's not get the impression that what he did here was pray for a little bit, and then take off to the king. This is four months later, and he's being sensitive to God's timing. He's wanting to be sure that he has spent adequate time in prayer. He doesn't want to remain fearful over a difficult situation. Now, I talked about risk at the beginning because this guy, this was a risky situation. This was the king who had some time previous said, I want you to stop building. I've heard some things about you people, and I want you to stop building. And so Nehemiah is about to go to Artaxerxes and say, can we please start building again? Now, you've heard of the law of the Medes and Persians, right? How that just can't change. This is the Persian Empire. He's going to the king to say, would you please change your mind? That's not an easy thing to do. Now, the cupbearer had both a very dangerous position, as I'm sure you heard last week, and also he was generally a reasonably respected person in the court because 
if you're willing to take poison for the king, if necessary, you're listened to also. And so he's there and he's ready to go to the king, but he is sensitive to God's timing. Another reason I know that is the end of the first chapter. As he is praying in verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attended to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. I think he knew, okay, it's time. There is nothing for you to do until you've prayed. But there's plenty more to do after you've prayed. And he was sensitive to God's timing. Give success to us today. Okay, it's time to go. I read a an account of D.L. Moody, a great uh, preacher and evangelist from a previous generation, established Moody Bible Institute, and uh, was talking with a young preacher one time who was just giving to him all of these things. Man, we're, we're aiming to, to start this ministry, and we're aiming to reach this part of town. And after two or three of those things, he's, Moody said to him, it sounds like you're aiming to do a lot of things. He said, we really are. He said, well, don't you think it's time to fire? Uh, you, you, you can aim for only so long. At some point in time, you have to go. And that happens as you're sensitive to the timing of God. Secondly, he was sensitive to his leading a step at a time. What are you requesting, the king said in the verses that we read. He knew that there was something in his demeanor and in his expression that he was about to ask something. Well, what is it that you'd like? It was time to follow the leading of God. Be sensitive to God. Be sensitive to his timing. Be sensitive to his leading. When it's time to go, it's time to go. Thirdly, be sensitive to his purpose. I love when verse 12 here says, I hadn't told anyone yet what my God had put in my heart. Some have suggested that God never really commands here in Nehemiah that Nehemiah go build this wall again. Okay, there's no express command, I agree. But it does seem that Nehemiah viewed this as something that God had put in his heart to do. So we want to be sensitive to God. Secondly, if you're leading, you need to have a plan. Faith is not a synonym for disorder, nor is it a substitute for careful planning. You can plan and have faith. They can go together and, in fact, should go together. In fact, I read one author who said, don't expect God to spare you the pain of failure when you haven't even considered the cost of success. Even Jesus said that about discipleship, right? If you're going to be a disciple, count the cost. Make sure you know what's what's ahead. So what did he know? Well, he knew, according to verse 6, how long this was going to take because the king said, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? By the way, verse 6, that little parenthesis, the queen sitting beside him, that may have been Esther. That may have been her, or certainly at least her daughter. She may have been queen mother. Interesting in the book of Esther, of course, the name of God is never expressly mentioned. And and, uh, Mordecai says to her at one point, how do you know God hasn't brought you for just such a time as this? And God brings a wonderful victory for the, the people of God, the people of Israel. But she's still having an impact, even though now she's not being named. 
the queen sitting beside him, the king said, well, how long will you be gone and when will you return? Those are practical questions. For the guy who sips your wine for you, how, how long do I have to count on somebody else to test and make sure what I drink is not poisoned? And uh, so he just wants to know. And Nehemiah knows. He, it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. He knew. He had a plan. He knew how long it would take. And he knew what he would need. And so... After he got permission to go, he added in, could I also have letters to the governors to let them know, let them know I have your authority to come do this. You're the one who said we couldn't do it. I'm going to need your authority to go to these people and say, it, this is our responsibility and the king has given us the authority to do this. And by the way, can you send a letter to the guy who keeps the forest and make sure I have enough wood to do all the rebuilding? Now he's gotten emboldened by this situation. He knows how long it will take. He knows what he would need. And he knows what he doesn't know. That's why that whole trip around the city when he got there. He had had a report from his brother and some others that things were in bad shape and the city has all fallen down. But he takes a trip around the city and he's mapping the thing out, and he's looking this gate here, and that gate there, and this other gate over here. It's really, really significant that he knows exactly what needs to be done where, and that will become important as we continue through the book, because he's going to station people at various places to do what needs to be done. He knew what he didn't know. So we have to be prayerful. We have to be sensitive to God. We have to have a plan and we have to communicate well. So verses 17 and 18, he then said to the people, well, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates are burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good. So here's the problem. Here's what we need to do about it. And here's why it's time to move now. He had, a, he had a plan, and he communicated it well. He also anticipated trouble. Verse 10, these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, it displeased them greatly that someone would seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Verse 19, when Sanballat and Tobiah, now they add Geshem, this other fellow, they jeered us, they mocked us, they despised us. He anticipated that there would be trouble. Opposition is to be expected when God's will is being carried out. So he balanced faith with careful planning. He also balanced faith with realism. Just because we're doing the work of God doesn't mean it's all going to be great, right? Again, Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. If we're going to do the work of God, there will be opposition. So that's principles for leaders. I think there are some good principles for followers in here too. And they are mostly in verses 16 through 18. It was really curious to me when I was reading through and got to verse 16, it said the officials, that's Geshem and these other guys, he didn't let them know what he was doing, but also they didn't know where I'd gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were going to do the work. Hmm. 
Principle number one for being a follower is you should trust when you have godly leaders. Trust them. (laughs) We don't have to know everything. We don't have to have everything explained thoroughly to us. That's not necessary to be a good follower. Sometimes it's important to simply follow. Trust your godly leaders. I think more of the work of God gets slowed by everybody wanting to have all the information they need and to have a say than almost any other obstacle that comes in the way. God gives us leaders. We should trust them. Secondly, we trust the Lord. And in many respects, in trusting our leaders, we are demonstrating an express trust in the Lord. Nehemiah encourages the people, first of all, by the good hand of his God upon him. I told them of the hand of God upon me for good and of the king's letters in response. It was important that he highlight to them that this is God's hand, and I'm trusting God as I move forward on this. And also, by the way, the king is in support of this as well. So trust the Lord, trust your godly leaders, and then get to work. Get to work. Can I tell you, one of the things I love about Coastal and how we have structured ourselves is we leave plenty of space for people to work and serve God. We don't spend all our time in meetings and discussing what, should we get new carpet? Should we change the color? Should we do this? What color should we paint that wall? Those Those kinds of things cause more church fights than should even be countenanced. It's it's awful. We as followers trust our leaders. Now, I say that with this in mind. Next week, next Sunday, during our service, you're going to hear a video, a brief video as part of the sermon or part of the service from Pastor Sean, who's going to be laying out some vision for the next decade, the next 10 years of Coastal Church. I'm not going to tell you anything else other than come prepared because God is doing some incredible things and we're going to get to be part of it. And my challenge to you is we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to trust our leaders and let's get to work. Let's get stuff done. And listen, I'm telling you, I love that you are currently doing that, right? There's little stuff happening all the time, new people that are coming here because somebody has said to a friend they work with or a a friend they're involved with in something else, man, you got to come with me. Come with me to Hampton, right? Bring people with you to church. Or if they can't come here or they don't live here, you got five other campuses of Coastal. You can say, listen, you can trust that church. Get your friends to be part of what God is doing. They said, let us rise up and build. They strengthened their hands for the good work. So I could leave it at that. I could just stop there. And you'd get out 10 minutes early and nobody would be the wiser. But as I read through this and got to the end of this chapter, there, there are some things here that really have gotten me excited about the, pic- the big picture of what God's doing. The kingdom of God is not confined to a single people, a single national people. And I'll, I want to go through some principles of kingdom growth from the scriptures. And I, I hope you can kind of go with me quickly here, but 
I want to remind you that as we serve God, as we promote the kingdom of God, we have the promise and purpose of God to fulfill. This is not just our idea. This isn't just us saying, man, we need something really exciting to do. Let's try this. This is us seeking to do what God lays on our heart, but behind it is the promise and the purpose of God. What do I mean by that? Look at these verses from Genesis chapter 12. This is God when he first called Abram, who became Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's an incredible promise, right? Incredible promise. God took a man who was a pagan, thoroughgoing pagan in pagan religion, called him out and said, I want you to follow me. I want you to start walking. I'm going to give you a land. Just start walking. I'll let you know when you get there. That's a risk taker for the sake of the kingdom of God. He didn't know yet, other than God's promise, what that was going to look like. And so we go through all of the Old Testament And we have an increasingly clear view. And again, in chapter 15 of Genesis, and again in chapter 17 of Genesis, at one point God says to him in Genesis chapter 15, Abram, look at the stars. If you can count them, you'll be able to count how many descendants you have. Now, by this time, we're beginning to get the sense that this is bigger than just one nation of people, right? And as we go through the Old Testament, over and over again, God says to his people, I want you to be a light to the Gentiles. It was never about one particular national group of people. It was about calling out a people for the name and fame of God. That's been God's purpose from the beginning of time. And his promise is, I'm going to do that. Every tribe, tongue, and nation... God's promise is so secure. Here's what the writer to the Hebrews said. Let me just read these words for you. When God made a promise to Abraham that we just read, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Isn't that fascinating? We say to someone, put your hand on the Bible and raise your right hand because we want you to swear you're going to tell the truth. God doesn't have to do that. God doesn't ever say, I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth. God says, I swear by myself because there isn't anybody greater. He swore he would accomplish this. Now, listen, that's a promise. He said, surely I will bless you and multiply you. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. It's not just God's plan. It is his intended purpose that he promises he will fill by the authority of his own name and character. We have the plan and purpose of God behind us. Here's what it's going to look like when it gets to the end. Revelation chapter 7. 
After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Sounds a lot like the stars of the sky, right? From every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around all the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell with their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. See, it's a good thing, by the way, to respond and say amen. So I'm really glad you do. You guys do it better than any other campus. But it's not a competition. <laughs> saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Right? That's what God is doing in the world. He is calling out a people for his name from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. It's his promise. It's what he has said he will do. We have the promise and purpose of God. We also, much like Nehemiah, have authority from the king. You remember Matthew 28 when Jesus commissioned his disciples, right? He said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have letters from the king. If you get challenged by somebody, what right do you have to talk to me about Jesus? We have letters from the king. We have a commission from the king. We don't get to be brash or rude or harsh. or We don't need any of that. But we certainly don't need to be timid or shy about it. We have letters from the king. We have authority from the king. Jesus has all authority, and that's how we go and serve. So we have the promise and the purpose of God. We have authority from the king, and we have the guarantee of success. I love verse 20. After these guys start in, they're mocking, they're carrying on, they're doing their thing. Verse 20, I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is none of your business. You guys just mind your own business. We will do what God has told us to do. Here's the verse that came to my mind, and I love this verse. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he was having this conversation that you may be familiar with, he said, so who do people say that I am? And of course, they, you know, they think you're one of the prophets or this or that. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, good old extrovert, first to speak up Peter, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, not on Peter, 
That was the confusion of the Roman church in the earliest days, right? The, this, it's not Peter that's going to have the church built on him, but the confession that Peter made, which is what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Am I, am I talking to anybody? The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, which he has promised to build. That's what we are part of. That's what we get to do. That's why we're so excited when we talk about, man, we're coming, we're challenging you, be faithful in corporate worship, get involved in a small group, let's serve the Lord together, and let's multiply by making disciples to advance the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Coastal. Listen, there may come a day when Coastal is a distant memory. I don't care if the kingdom of God continues to move forward. We're not here to advance a, a church. We're not here to advance the vision of Pastor Sean. When Pastor Sean shares vision with us and he's talked to Pastor Andrew and the elders have thought this through and prayed this through together and they come and say, man, we just believe this is what God wants us to do. It's because God has put it on their heart, just like with Nehemiah. So, man, I am, I'm excited to be part of something that can't fail, Right? When Jesus said, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, what is more than a conqueror? A conqueror is pretty good, right? If you're more than a conqueror, you're someone who cannot be conquered. We have the guarantee of success. Jesus said, I will build my church. Just like these, these guys here said to these guys mocking them, oh, we will arise and build. This is what God has given to us. We will do this in spite of whatever you want to do. Man, I want to challenge you today in your heart to say, I will be part of what God is doing in his kingdom. Let's go. Let's arise and build. So here are your thoughts to take home. First is a question. What is, what is holding you back? Is that the first thing I put up there? I put my notes away. Yeah, what's holding you back? What is it that's causing you to say, I'm just not too sure? What is it that perhaps you are just saying, I'm not sure I can handle this? Listen, you remember Paul's words uh, in, to the Corinthian church. He's like, we have this treasure, treasure in earthen vessels. Listen, I know how that feels, right? We all feel like we've, man, somebody else could do this way better than me. There's always somebody who could do it better. But the treasure we have is in earthen vessels. I've talked before about, you know, pot, potted plants. Uh, my wife loves plants, right? Nobody comes to our front yard and sees this nice bed of flowering thing. Well, they're not flowering as much right now as normal, but it's the end of the season. So, but they don't look at that stuff and say, man, that is really cool mulch. That's a really nice job outlining that bed. No, they look at the flowers. They look at the plant you have that's in the pot. And for the most part, nobody says, cool pot. They say, look at that plant. That's amazing. That's beautiful. God gives us the treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels so that the glory can go to him and not to us, right? So if you feel inept or inadequate or you're just not sure you've got what it takes, get in line. 
God takes people like that on purpose because this is for his glory and for the growth of his kingdom. So what's holding you back? Secondly, how are you growing God's kingdom? What are you doing? What part are you playing? There is never a question of whether we're part of that. The question is which part? That's where we go to 1 Corinthians. And don't worry, I'm not going to take time to go through 1 Corinthians 12. But there is a place for everybody. Everybody has something to do. And many times we're going to have multiple things to do. It's okay. That's why we serve. Maybe you have a capacity and a willingness and you just like kids. We can use you. Maybe you are good with techie stuff. You would be interested in being involved in our media. We can use you. Maybe you just really have a nice smile and you're friendly. Man, our first impressions people would love to post you at the door. So when somebody comes in, you're the first person they see. Maybe you are, uh, have some musical talent that's kind of hidden away. I uh, participated in a funeral yesterday morning, and the son of the lady who passed sang a song at the funeral. Everybody was shocked. Nobody knew he sang. He said, well, you just keep some things hidden. And I thought of this today. I thought, no, let's not do that. Let's take what God has given us. What are we doing to grow his kingdom, to advance his kingdom? And lastly, let's go. Let's rise up and build. Let's do what God has called us to do. We are here together. This is our corner of the wall. And we're going to talk about that as we get on into into Nehemiah. He had people stationed at various sections of the wall, right? Some were at the sheep gate. Some were at the dung gate. I know, bummer if you get assigned to the dung gate, right? But, um, But... There are different spots in the wall, and some places were more broken down than others, and he stationed people there to build their section of the wall. We don't have to worry about who's building the rest of the wall. Coastal is building a section of the wall. Other churches in this area that are preaching the gospel and advancing the kingdom are building their section. Who cares about what they're doing? What has God assigned to us to do? And we're going to build our section of the wall and give our whole heart to it. So let's go, right? Amen. Listen, I uh, am going to pray here in a second, and then when I'm done, uh, we're going to we're going to sing. The worship team will come back up while I'm praying, and then uh, Pastor Marcus is actually going to close the service. So I apologize for running out. I'm not going to be able to talk with you. I have to go to Battery Park and help them with We Are Coastal because Pastor Marcus and his team have this one all covered. So uh, at any rate, thanks so much for being here. I'm really grateful and. Uh, Let's go. Let's do what God has put in our hearts, right? Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege of serving you together. Lord, you have put us here in this place to build our section of the wall. And so we're here. We're here to build your kingdom, to bring glory to your name. Lord, you have given us authority through Jesus. And I pray that we would be faithful and diligent and courageous and step out and serve. Uh, Lord, thank you for what you continue to do. Thank you for the the hope that we have not only in Christ personally, but Lord, I thank you for the confidence that we have as we serve you, that you will build your church and nothing can stop it. So Lord, give us encouragement and joy as we pursue that vision. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.